I led a guild in World of Warcraft for years in college. And uh, and at that time, you would like start casting a spell and then you'd have like two seconds till the spell went off, right? And so for years, I was spending a lot of time typing in an environment where I had to deliver complete thoughts to people in under two seconds. Scotch. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 309 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm inside out when I look at mirrors. I'm Sam, and I'm a man. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is April 29th, 2021. Dunk on everyone. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. And we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We got a message from Min Kaizen, who said, Been listening to your podcast for a while now and bought both Crashlands and Levelhead, but haven't had time to play either. (laughs) Nice. So I thought I'd give you guys a coffee instead. Uh, also, I'm really liking Adam's dev chat. Please continue nice. to write about whatever you want. I, uh, that's the only possible thing that will ever be in there. So that's perfect. So I like that this person was like, I've given money for two games that haven't gotten anything out of them. So I'm going to throw some money, some more money at this studio <laughs> just to really, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll take it, lock it in. Uh, and we also, of course, have uh, recurring supporters who are donating monthly, and we appreciate that as well. Uh, let's talk about life, you guys. We're let's talk about Let's talk about agua. Let's talk about water. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So uh, so I was on a bit of a – we went on a trip this past week. Went saw my what kind family. of trip are we talking? Are we talking a trip? Like, were you tripping? Were you- I, well, no, I was not tripping, unfortunately. Um, okay. No, this is just like a standard traveling trip. Uh, to go see okay. my wife's family. And at one point, this series of, of things happened that I thought uh, both that Adam and Seth that you guys could relate to way too hard probably. Uh, and then our listeners would find probably very amusing. So here's the here's the, the shtick. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife had one of her, her classes going on. So she's uh, sitting there in a hotel bed with doing like the laptop screen sharing stuff, right? And I'm – reading a book and I am deeply engaged with this book and it's like probably seven, I think it's seven or 8 PM. So Adderall's like not affecting me at all. Just tapered off. This is just regular Sam. Right. And so I'm reading this book and I'm like deep in this book. And my wife says, Hey, could you grab me some water before you like, you know, got to talk in this class. And I was like, sure. Uh, get up, go to the bathroom, walk into the bathroom. Are you still holding your book? Oh no, no, no. I left the book. Get into the bathroom. And I, Stand there for a moment. I already know what's with Because, like, I'm in the bathroom now, and I'm like, why am I here? So <laughs> I vaguely remember that I was supposed to get water. So I get water. Uh, but then I just drink it. Okay? Yeah, like this. I guess this is mine. And I was like, <laughs> this been my idea. I guess I was thirsty. And then I fill it up again because, like, I have some more water for when I get back. So I fill yeah. it up, and then I come out with this cup <laughs> and just sit down. In front of my wife, back at the table with my book. Just chug a big sip. Water. Take a big sip of this water and go. <laughs> and then just start reading my book again. Oh, yeah. This water's so fucking good. And she's like. Ah. You should go get yourself some. <laughs> Excuse me. And I was like, oh. Now, here's here's the uh, the kicker. The yeah. book I was reading was on ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That was. Uh, so, was she just looking at you like, what? Fuck yeah, man. she's like, why is this the rudest way 
And of course, you're just chilling. You're just vibing. You I got no even, clue. Yeah. I'm like, I got water. I don't know why I have water. Oh, I'm so glad I picked up this water. This great. I, it turns, I was thirsty. I don't know why I grabbed it to begin with, but it turned out that God, I was so thirsty. refreshing. Yeah. So, uh, so that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As soon as you said, I went into the bathroom. I was like, I know where the, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's the your your brain is because you're you're reading. You're thinking about something else. Yep. As soon as you pass a threshold of a doorway. Your brain is like, well, whatever happened in there stays in there, <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, so here we are now. Let's evaluate this new situation that we find your ourselves mission, in. Your mission, you not the context, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 So then you're, then you're trying to reverse engineer why you are there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just evaluating of, uh, your context clues. You're like, well, I'm, I guess I'm sort of thirsty. Yeah, I must be thirsty. That's the I must, that must be why I came here. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, Sampada showed us a picture because she was laughing hysterically of, <laughs> uh, of a kitchen sink at Seth and Sampada's household, which had in it a bottle of ketchup just in there. <laughs> Yep. And, yeah. It's because, uh, you know, like when the, the ADHD brain, you just like, you just have things and you put them places. It just happens. It's just, it's just a thing that happens. Right. And your brain doesn't pay that much attention to which thing it is that you're putting somewhere. It's just, it's the same deal. It's like, it got triggers, right. You know, you got to put stuff away. You put stuff away. So it always does, or not always, it often does that. Uh, often does not also. Uh, and so in, and Seth was like at a mad, you know, mad scramble to to make and eat some food, including adding ketchup to a thing. And so somehow the ketchup just ended up just in the sink. It's a you dish know? now. It's you a know? dish now. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I put some I put some dishes in the sink. I was in putting stuff away mode. I had ketchup, but I was thinking about three other things, you know. And so the ketchup went away too. <laughs> I put I've put I've put a full Tupperware of scrambled eggs in the cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, it was with the other Tupperware. So like it was the right it was the right kind of That's container. True. I have an even the right more place. horrifying one of these that nearly happened to me about two months ago, which is I walked downstairs and I was holding a piece of trash in one hand and also needed to pee. Okay. <laughs> I walked over to the <laughs> I walked over to the trash can and then start like preparing to pee and I was like <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is like, usually it would be the other way you, where you walk over the toilet and throw the trash in there. I've done that before. Like, that's been a thing I've done. But I was like, this is the, like, come on. Come on. Get with the program. Oh, man. This is life. This is just Don't what you it feel is. like, because I've been, you know, I've been on the, I've been on the, the ADHD drugs and it does, it does help, you know. But it doesn't like it doesn't get you all the way. God no, absolutely off, no. off of this train. Uh, it's a wild ride. It's a wild train to be on. Stuff's just kind of happening. You know? <laughs> Stuff is just happening. Yes. Uh, I just got something I was very excited about, mm. uh, which is something that I feel like you can only be excited about in very certain like times in your life. Which is, I got one of those Sunday through Saturday pill <laughs> holders. Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, we're hearing about like, hey, like all these people who, with, uh, with uh, depression, a lot of them have vitamin D deficiency, right? And it's like, may- maybe there's a connection, but it doesn't hurt to take it. So, fuck it. I'm taking some. Mm-hmm. So, going to take that every day. Got my multivitamin. I've got my Ritalin dosage got my melatonin you know and it's like okay i got a pharmacy going and as and there have been so many times where where like my ritalin wears off 
I'm now in full, like full on ADHD mode, right? I go take the next dose. But then you can't remember. And then, but did. then 10 minutes later, I don't remember whether I took it. And then I'm, I'm like, well, I don't want to take a double dose if I did, because yep. that's going to be a problem. So I'm just going to ride this out and hope for the best. But, you know, if I, if I parcel out, if I parcel it out day by day, then it helps me reverse engineer stuff. Honestly, right? yeah. I mean, the, like I, I, uh, I had those pill boxes. If you remember, it was a four by seven because of what I was on the cancer drugs. Cause you had to yeah. take them morning. Yeah. There are a lot of pills you had to take and that's, yeah. yeah. And a four by, so it was like four. It was a, it was a grid of pill boxes, yep. but I don't know how you keep track of that shit. Other, like as soon as you're up to that many things per day, like you gotta have one of those things. Yeah. yeah I'm already at that case. Cause I have, cause I have morning and afternoon real in, and then I have uh, my evening. What's this other stuff called? The stuff for my, to help the, the nerves in my gut because they're all fucky and don't want to behave. Uh, although it hasn't been helping yet, so who knows? It's called uh, like gut nerve, ka- yeah, gut uh, kablam, gut nerve, like gut nerve softener. It's like a stool softener, but not for the poop, just for the gut. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's remembering. So I just have three alarms for throughout the day, uh, and of course, I'm always doing some other shit when they go off. So I'm just like hit the snooze button, you know, because like what's 15 minutes? But of course, for my for my afternoon riddle, and if I hit that snooze button too many times, then we're talking like that's too late now. Uh, or, mm-hmm. or it's going to be a bit of an adventure trying to get to sleep. Uh, so, man, man, there was a there was a time, and it wasn't that long ago. You know, there was a time when you would just like wake up and just start doing stuff. <laughs> you just start doing stuff, uh, and you you know, you just kind of functioned. I don't largely. think I ever did. I think no, yeah, that's, you, that's uh, the truth. You kind of functioned. Was the oh, yeah the emphasis yeah. is the the kind yeah, of part. kind of, but uh, yeah, you know. It's I, I'm I'm weirdly looking forward to like having more interesting concoctions, to, you know, potions to <laughs> add to my to add to my collection. Uh-huh. Uh, who knows what it's going to look like? So, anyways, I streamed Ludum Dare this past weekend. Yeah, for a million hours. So let's, let's talk about it. Game jams, love them. They're always interesting. Uh, Ludum Dare is the is the worldwide game jam that it has two. Two parts to it. You can either do the competition where you solo it, but you have to make everything from scratch. Music, you know, all that stuff. And open source it, right? You have to open source it. Um, It's very like, you know, it's got a very particular set of rules, which which for for where I am just makes it not fun. So, Mm -hmm. uh, because like I don't don't have a, a background in music composition. And I also don't have the tools, right? And so, like, most of the time would be spent making a bad piece of music, right? <laughs> uh, and nobody wants to hear that. So, so I'm totally comfortable with, like, uh, entering the, the jam part of it instead of the competition, which is they say you don't need to open source it. You can use external libraries and other stuff if, as long as you have the license to do it. And it's not, you know, you're not committing intellectual property theft or anything. Um, and so uh, – so I ended up streaming in like two hour segments throughout the whole weekend with at least like an hour break in between. And I did, uh, I think four, 14 and a half total Oof. hours of streaming. Um, it was, and, and I only worked on the game during stream. Actually. The only thing I did off stream was add music to it because I don't think anybody wanted to see me like 
trolling through a free music archive, hitting yeah. play on 50 different songs. Because uh, <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not good streaming content. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty fun, I got to say. But how did it, you but, manage to do, given that you're streaming the whole time? Because you're talking about how, hard, how much harder streaming is to actually like produce something while you're streaming. Well, I, I kind of, I oriented my plan around the fact that I was streaming. Um, and so I said like, okay, I've got 14 and a half hours to make this game. Um, but I need to make a game that I would probably normally be able to make in six hours. Right. Right. Because most of the time on the stream, I will be explaining stuff. I'll be moving at a slower pace. I will be answering questions. Um, cause I, you know, I, th- I think that that people coming into into Twitch streams, they don't just want to watch some person silently doing stuff that they don't understand. Right? Yeah. Uh, they're there. They're there to engage, and I think that's the reason you you do stream is is to have conversations and like talk talk to people about stuff. Right? Um, that's why you do it live and not just record a YouTube video and then you know put it up. So um, it was hugely uh, challenging, I think, to bounce back and forth between like programming game systems and then talking in the chat and everything. But uh, the game that I ended up making turned out pretty fun. It's uh, it's called Space Demons, Demons with a Z, because it's in space. It's hip. Um, it's, bas- it's, a, it's a pretty straightforward uh, space shooter, but somebody in the, in the chat suggested a, where, a, a way to upgrade your ship that has drawbacks. Okay, so that was kind of like the core driving force behind it. So... You clear out a wave of enemies, and then I set up a system so that it would sort of mix and match and scramble positive and negative effects, and it would always present you with three options, right? Mm. So it'd be like, your ship is smaller, which of course makes it harder to hit, but like enemies now shoot faster, or you you have better uh, better turn speed, but your firing rate has gone down. So you so kind of like you would. Generally, the way people would play it, I think, is they pick a thing to try to optimize toward, right? And they'll they'll pick that thing kind of regardless of the drawbacks, mm-hmm. unless the drawback is too bad. Mm-hmm. So people were posting a bunch of hilarious screenshots because one of the I, I made it so that everything scales up or down infinitely, but mm-hmm. it scales down in sort of a Zeno's paradox way because it's percentage based. So it's like maybe like your size is reduced by twenty percent, but you can do that as many times as you want. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's multiplicative, right? So you'll never hit zero, and you'll never go below zero. But you will get but very, very small. You'll get very small mm-hmm. and very hard to hit. Um, and there's asteroids which also can grow or shrink depending on drawbacks, and so can the enemies, right? So, so. Uh, so somebody was optimizing toward having the largest enemies possible so that they could just wildly fire in any direction and always hit a giant enemy. And yeah, they got enemies that were like the size of the whole screen. <laughs> so that's really cool. Uh, yeah. And I also like, I put in five difficulty levels, which really is just like how fast things happen in the game. It's like a game speed thing. Um, so yeah, it was like, it was, it was a nice exercise in making a simple but fun game that had a lot of weird replay value and loops in it. It kind of reminded me of back in the day when we did like our eight hour jams mm-hmm. uh, in the studio, when we made stuff like flop rocket and things like that. So I'll probably be putting those up on uh, YouTube for anybody who's interested in seeing it, but just bear in mind that it's like 40% development, 60% philosophical bloviating. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it was very funny though. I popped into the stream just kind of periodically, but in particular that first Friday night, 
There's some good some good one-liners in there that uh, I think you could make into sort of a Confucius-style book. You know, <laughs> of like, uh, yeah, I can't remember it offhand, but there was there was there was there were a few that I just actually made me cackle. Um, I think one that Adam that Adam quoted back to me was when I was I was uh, making a starscape and I had a I I used the 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 paint spray paint tool oh, yeah, and yeah. Inkscape mm-hmm. to like just blast a bunch of stars all over the place. And I was like, I don't know if this is how you do it, but this is how the Big Bang did it. So if it's good enough for physics, it's good enough for me. Right? <laughs> uh, so, also, I, I had some rum and coke that first night. So <laughs> Loosen things up. Uh, yep. So yeah, I'll we'll have more information if those uh, end up being uh, up on YouTube. If people, yeah, but you'll, yeah, if you just go to subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the only the only stuff we're putting out there basically uh, for the foreseeable future is going to be random technical videos and streams and things. So if you're into that, you'll be into the rest probably anyway. So you might as well just go over there and subscribe to it. I did also reorganize our channel a little bit in the playlist and stuff to kind of consolidate and make it a little easier to find stuff. Uh, so if you are into that kind of content, there's, there's also a backlog there that maybe you haven't seen. Get in there. Get in there. All right, let's get on to some questions. These questioner, questioners, <laughs> these questioners come from our website over at podcast.bscotch.net. Uh, highest upvoted question is actually two questions that are sort of related. Hacks or kind of. Okay. Wait, two uh, separate questions or one question that snuck two in there? Two. It's two separate questions from two separate people. Oh, okay. The people are Gear Whip Toppy Beep and El Yip Nip Mappa. Okay. <laughs> uh, what a duo. The, what a legendary and, duo we have. Today. And basically the gist of the questions is, hey, do you guys have any other good podcast recommendations? Mm. You know how time is a circle? Or whatever. So I only say this because weirdly recently, uh, a whole bunch of things have been happening that I know for a fact happened about a year and a half ago because I'm listening to our our podcast backlog, right? So all back to back, and I can't remember even all the things, but the two things that are sticking out in my mind right now were that at that time, Seth was streaming again. Mm -hmm. And it was only for like a few week period, right? But he was like streaming. So like we were talking about that a whole bunch. Uh, And then also – one of the episodes, somebody asked us about what podcast we listened to. And so we Weird. just talked through all the podcasts. <laughs> and now here we are again. We're a back. Year and a half later, just talking about the same things. Well, I'll just, I'll just throw out a couple. Uh, this American Life, super, super interesting. Just interesting stories. Radio Lab. They just talk about weird crap. They just pick a weird, they just pick a thing and they're like, let's go real deep into this. They even have a six part series on gonads. Just oh, on gonads. Just, this is this is yeah. this is a off topic for the question. Parse, I was like, <laughs> this, yeah, this is no, they got one for the question, but on topic for the gonads, which is there's a book called <laughs> Fallacy, but spelled like fall phallus, mm-hmm. like a mm-hmm. ph, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's written by uh, this. I think she's a biologist um, of some of some sort, but it's just this like, it's just this smart ass, hilarious thing about sort of like. Like the biological history of of the the penis as a as an entity, right? Uh, focusing on biologists' obsession with it because, uh, and so there's all this like really good commentary about like the social bullshit, and uh, and she pulls no punches with things like evolutionary psychology, which is like 100 percent bullshit, you know. And uh, <laughs> and like it's just like it is it is very funny, uh, although it does. I gotta say, I discovered very quickly that I do not care about the biology. Uh, the evolutionary biology of that particular organ. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've started to get bored, even though it's biology by a very smart, smart ass person. 
that that part started to be less interesting. But still, even just like the intro alone is, is worth the price of entry. It's very funny. There you go. If you, nice. this, if you want to learn about gonads. If you want to learn about gonads, listen to that American Life thing and then go read this book. Um, no, been, radio, radio Lab is gonads. Radio Lab. Radio Lab is yeah, I listened to uh, this one called The Cut recently. I've been listening to a lot of uh, – it's really good. I like the woman's vibe and voice, uh, the host of it. And the most, one of the, my favorite ones uh, was on kindness. And they had Jonathan Van Ness, who's the the incredible uh, – incredible The hairstylist. Hair Queer Eye. Yes, from Queer Eye. And it was mm. about like, what does it mean? What's kindness for? What is it? And like, is it good to be kind, you know? Or is it really just – Somehow not good, and so can you but, kill someone with kindness? Can you kill a man? Yeah, uh, there. It was. It's a very fascinating uh, show. I think it, it. They get into. They actually give you nuance, which is what I like. Mm. They never just say like, "No, kindness is terrible." Uh, they might get there at some point in the episode, but then they always sort of, you know, basically come around. Kindness and point is that, like, terrible. <laughs> it's all about. Yeah, it's all nuance. So they do a really good job of that. So I like that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still very listen cool. to a lot of Syntax.fm. It's my main sort of my main podcast because it's like. Up to date stuff about web dev, so I get to learn about new, new cool things that are coming out. They still talk a lot about React because that's what web developers care about, and I just cannot give a single shit about React. So that's <laughs> a little, that's a little annoying. Uh, but it's still a lot more stuff than just that. Uh, but it's very well done. And the, the two people who co-host it, uh, they their whole jobs, there's like self created uh, little empires they've made for themselves, uh, are selling courses about web dev. So their whole job is to go try out new technologies and build courses around them, right? So that's pretty cool. Uh, so yes, if, so smart people who know how to like explain things to a really wide uh, array of audiences who've also kind of experienced everything. Um, so that's a good one if you're into into web dev. Um, and the other one I've been listening to a bunch lately is called Darknet Diaries, which is a cybersecurity podcast. But they talk about they basically tell some story of some of some. Uh, cybersecurity, you know, threat or issue or thing that happened uh, and kind of just dig into it. And uh, the the stories are just why. And so like, they'll bring in like professional penetration testers and you know, people who go like fit, like physically try to get into buildings and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like listen to their stories. And, and some of the people they bring on are, are people who were doing this before that was recognized as a, as a field, which was a very scary time to be doing it because it was, very, it was hard to explain when you got caught, right. What you were up to. <laughs> And, They're paying uh, me to do this. I swear. Yeah. And they, but, <laughs> yeah. but they did that kind of stories because like, they all have, you know, of course, wild stories of how they got into a bank, how they got into a whatever. And it's all, it's, you know, it's largely social engineering plus like fun, interesting little, uh, little surprises, you know? And, and so it's, it's super fascinating. I, I think my favorite sort of little tiny tidbit from one of them was that they found, they couldn't get into a, into the building that they wanted to get into, but they found that they could like, that the door, or there was like, a, there was like a gap in the door. Or like somewhere there was a gap they had access to. And so they put some malware on a thumb drive and just threw it in. Just like popped it through the door because they were like, it was a big company. Like somebody's going to try to figure out what's on this, right? And then it worked. Like this kind of stuff just worked. Uh, and then a lot of it is just so much they just like, yeah, if you, like, if you just are talking on a phone when you walk into a building, like nobody, just nobody stops you, you know? And so, like, if you just like get a get a clipboard, so they talked to this woman who was really hilarious, and she and she had a fake cast on, and the whole thing. So she made this big production, like coming up to a door and like trying and just like put her thumb on it because it had a thumbprint. And of course, it it went red, you know. Nice. So she was just like sort of cussing. She's like, "God damn it!" You know, she started like as if like there's just this aggravating thing that she, things are just going to hell right now, right? And then she drops all of her stuff, and so she's like trying to pick it up with one arm, and they're just making such a scene. 
that the security guard just like rushes her through the door and, uh, and then she like pulls off her fake cast and then like goes off and, you know, breaks into a thing. Like it is just, <laughs> it is wild shit. Uh, I mean, so it's you know, it's, I recommend it. Cause there's, there's this heist movies, right? Like, like the oceans 11 movies yeah. or whatever. And it's, it's always such an elaborate scheme for them to get in, but it's always about like coordinated guard shifts and like traps and locks and lasers and stuff, right? Yeah. But and like, almost all of it for the, with the professionals who are really doing it, they basically bring in whatever they can and then they just improvise all the way through because yeah. they don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And so much of it though is so simply down to just like being confident and just Man, walking I, into it. I would place. watch, I would 100% <laughs> watch a reality show that was, that was of these people breaking into oh, yeah, increasingly yeah. secure buildings. That yeah. would be, because it's, it's not about being like, it's not about, you know, entering through a duct. It's like, you have to you walk, walk through the right front in. door, right? Yeah. That's like the rule. Yeah. And then like however far you can get into the building to like get this top secret shit or whatever else. Uh, that would be that would be amazing yeah. to watch. I would love it. <laughs> yeah, the stories, the stories are very fun. So uh, I'd recommend that one. They also, it, and it goes – it's not just that. It's, it's like it covers like every kind of cybersecurity topics. They talk about like the the hack at the – the, the Olympics, at like the, I think it was the Winter, Winter Olympics in Korea, and then the, and then there was a huge hack that brought down everything, um, like the night that it all started. And so they talk first about the whole like what happened as people try to get it fixed, right? They spent all night like how they how they pulled that off and like what the what the virus was doing, and then the next like next years were all these different researchers and, and companies all over the place trying to figure out who the fuck did it, right? And and they were like digging into the anatomy of this of this malware, and and then it turned out it was like it was designed in such a way to hide its origin by taking like pieces of code from all kinds of uh, other countries, like uh, of other countries, uh, you know, like uh, uh, state-based um, hacking groups mm. uh, and like, and then editing them a bit and then putting them in there and like putting snippets of, of comments that they quote unquote left in there on accident, right. In different languages and stuff. And so, so that like, they did all this stuff to obfuscate where it was coming from, but actually, but they did it in such a way that it also kind of hinted, at somebody who was doing it, mm. which turned out to be a misdirect, right? It's like, and which people eventually uh, pieced together. <laughs> it's fucking wild. So yeah. Anyway, very fun stories. So the person who made it was like, how would this other p- person or organization yeah, yeah, they try to obfuscate? The chain. Right. Yeah. It was, That's it was cool. cool. Yeah, I was, like, I was like, one last thing about podcasts, which is uh, something really interesting happened, which is, uh, do you guys know the podcast Reply All? Yes. I've heard of it, yes. Did you hear about what happened with their their no. ki- kitchen episode? So they started putting together a series um, about about test test kitchens, which is like the for for some of these like uh, food magazines where they develop recipes and stuff. Okay, and the the series was supposed to be an expose about how badly people of certain groups were being treated in these. That'll probably trigger from the Bon Appetit. Yeah, from the teeth that, thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so they were doing a series about this, um, and they released the first episode. And I was like, "Oh, that's interesting. That's that was that was an interesting episode. We'll we'll see what happens next." And the next episode they released was like one minute long, which was one of the hosts saying, "We're not going to continue this series." And also, the people who put the series together have resigned because it turns out that they have been responsible for creating a similar work environment for some of the people in our company. Mm-hmm. And all these complaints emerged as soon as they aired the episode. What? And, and they're like, we don't really know when we're going to be back on the air. We don't really know what's happening. Because it was the main two guys, right? Uh, one, one of them. One of the two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so 
it was like it was what a roller coaster that because <laughs> wow. I'd, I'd listen to that, I would be listening to that podcast for for quite some time. They had some really interesting content on there, um, but uh, yeah, it was weird. Just is, all of a sudden, uh, like a one minute apology episode, and like yeah, things are really weird right now, and then that was it. <laughs> so that's hel- hilariously. I don't even know what the right word is like myopic or something like that, that they would be doing an expose on behaviors that they were also participating in. Yeah. That meant that they had to know that that was a problem, but also not be aware somehow that they were also doing it or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Bizarre. I don't know. It was weird, but uh, that was kind of a bummer. You know, it, it kind of sucks when, because it was, it was, it's a very entertaining podcast and they, they had all kinds of interesting stories, mostly focused around like uh, web stuff and, um, and they would do these really deep sort of investigative dives into strange things, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, to kind of hear them like the, that behind the scenes, there's this kind of really shitty thing going on. I don't know. It's not, it's a bummer. Yeah. Sometimes you, these the stories surface about how the thing that you liked was made and you realize there's like a lot of suffering involved. Yeah. It was made like, by grinding up souls. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's yeah. like Which almost I'm, every uh, video uh, game that you love was probably made from the soul. Yeah. Or like every electronics product you bought or yep. uh, yeah, everything that you've consumed, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, whoops, whoopsie. Whoopsie. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go on to the next question. Amerchi Kuli Yuppa says, Hey guys, big fan of your podcast. Recently watched one of Seth's programming videos on YouTube, and you type like a beast. Uh, obviously one with pretty good dexterity, so I guess that was like a compliment. Not like a, you type like a person with dog paws. <laughs> you type like a hooligan. <laughs> uh, any tips for getting from okay at touch typing to blazingly fast? Do you use IntelliSense at all with coding, or is it faster to just type? Any other thoughts on typing code real fast? So, uh, so, here's- so Seth doesn't use much IntelliSense, but that's not by choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's because I use GameMaker. It's because uh, there isn't any good IntelliSense. Uh, it's got some, but not a lot. Uh, uh, IntelliSense, for, for anybody who doesn't know, is basically your code editor knowing about the stuff that you're doing, like knowing about the programming language and what it can do and knowing about the grammar of the language and then knowing about the stuff that you've already typed, like all your variables and stuff, so that – it can spot when things are wrong. It can, it can autofill, or it can give you like a list of things that might be what you want to choose. So you can basically hit like hit like a hotkey and be like, "Oh, did you mean one of these?" And you hit enter, and then the, then the thing appears. Right? It's sort so of yeah, like suggest or autocorrect typing, but like on yeah, autocomplete. Yeah, autocomplete. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm a pretty big believer in, and more and more so as time passes, is that most of what you see. Is a result of some kind of a structural thing that made it so. Okay. So I could say, like, here are some websites that you could go to to like learn how to type faster or whatever. But the fact is, that's not how I did it. Mm-hmm. How I did it was I led a guild in World of Warcraft for years in college. And, uh, and at that time, you would like start casting a spell and then you'd have like two seconds till the spell went off, right? And you can type to your party members and you can type in guild chat. You, you know, you can, you can type messages to people, right? And so for years, I was spending a lot of time typing in an environment where I had to deliver complete thoughts to people in under two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um, and because I'm also a big believer in 
clarity and grammar and stuff. I never went with the bullshit of like using singular uh, letters to replace words. I've never done that. I've I think never that's actually t- the key for me too. So I, I didn't have that experience, but I just have written a lot, just a lot. And I have also the whole time refused to do anything, but like starts with the capital letter and with like the whole, the whole thing is always grammatically correct and having to, cause that just means you have to type a lot more just all yep. the time. And so I think that, that definitely changes your approach to not trying to get it because you're not trying to get it done as fast as possible, making the content as short as possible. You're trying to, you have to do it the other way around now. You have to just be able to move your fingers as fast as possible. Yeah. So I think nowadays I can type uh, at, a, at a, a decent like 115 words per minute with like 98% accuracy. Um, but there's a downside to that too, which is that being able to type that fast on a keyboard makes using a touchscreen absolutely oh, yeah, infuriating, right? Because like uh-huh. if you're typing at 50 words per minute and then you go down to 20 on a touchscreen, it's like, well, it's less than a little bit less than half, but you know, it's like, it's, it's not that huge of a downgrade. But if you're now typing at like 16% of your normal speed on a touchscreen, it just feels like what's even the point. Yeah, <laughs> for real. Like I've, I've so many times looked into like, should I get a fold, a foldy keyboard? That's like a Bluetooth keyboard that I can just like pop open whenever I want to do email or text stuff on my phone. You know, I've looked into so many things like that, but they all kind of suck. Maybe you should just do voice, uh, just do dictation. Mm-hmm. That might be the, yeah, the I could try thing. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, and again, structural stuff, right? Like because of that, I just really don't like it when people text me. <laughs> like no matter what it is, um, be, just because it the 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 quickest way to respond to a text is through a touch screen interface, or I could like go to the messages website, you know, and like scan a QR code to pull up my my, my messages <laughs> app and then type responses through that. But like, don't text me. Yeah, I think most of my text messages from Seth are just the words, just the letters. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you want, if you want to, if you want more info from me, you know, let's go to email where I can really get get ideas across in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's it's. I guess if I were to kind of loop back around, if you want to, if you want to type faster, put yourself in scenarios that require you to type fast, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, and you can do that through like games or through. Keyboard racing, like at there keyboard.com. There are typing games now. Yeah, there's some great there's typing games. Incredible ones. And I'm pretty sure you could like turn that shit up to 11. That'd be a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, when you force yourself into a scenario, but you have to do it a lot. It's like requires a lot of practice. So like, so oh, yeah. If, if you can find yeah. a way to practice a lot at both speed and accuracy under under pressure that, that forces those two things. Uh, and then just then just do that as a as – a, when I say as a habit, I mean, you know, construct your – your daily routine such that you can slot that in there. Yeah. I would um, say the most important thing is actually the accuracy part because double yeah. doubling back will slow you down so much more oh, yeah. than your speed forward can yeah. ever go. So like it's only, only focus on accuracy. Yep. So if there's something that you can tell, if you use like, you can try like keyboard or something like that and just see where there's something where if you obviously are just making errors with like hitting the period button or something like that, just all the fucking time then literally just focus on that because improving even one of those things oftentimes will like just like massively boost your overall speed up. It cascades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, there's going to be some kind of a bottleneck. That's like your weakest point, you know, always focus on those bottlenecks. 
So maybe Seth, maybe on one of these streams you should do is just to challenge the community to uh, typing races. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. I, I can only probably can... do. I can only probably do that for like a half hour because. Oh yeah, then your arms would be dead. But yeah, typing at that typing at that speed for that amount of time, like you're. It's like the yeah, flash. When you're, you need some of the, you need like yeah. little armor pieces for your fingers. You know. Yeah, yeah. be chugging Gatorades. Get or or I'll just like I'll hold up. I'll just hold up my hands and dump Gatorade on them. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need more mana. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Zeflat Durvir, who says, how do you share and store game assets so everyone can access them? Do you use version control for any assets other than code? Mm, so yes. we don't store them so that people can access them. We store them so that robots can access them. Correct. So all our pipe, we basically have a pipeline from – Clip Studio Paint uh, into the game, just sort of like, just sort of shoves them in there. And the way we do that is, so as far as like accessibility, you would have to have an actual, you'd have basically have to have Clip Studio to get to the actual files themselves. Um, all of those files are just one big place. And then they all get, any exports go into a particular folder that is watched by a robot. You know, we love these robots are doing stuff for us. So I love robots. Uh, this robot watches stuff that comes in there, and then it reads the name, and there's little additional sort of signifiers on the end of the name, like dash dash NC, for example, which means don't crop this robot. Don't you fucking dare. Don't touch it. And so at that point, the robot would be like, I'm not going to crop this. I'll just send it along into uh, what we call basically the production asset folder. Yeah, otherwise it'll auto-crop and auto-bleed the mm -hmm. hard assets as they come out. Uh, and <laughs> so it flies in there, and then uh, I can look at it. I use VS Code to actually check all the art assets. So I just have VS Code open. I can see it in there, and I can say, this looks correct, or this has like some weird artifacting I didn't notice, or whatever else. Just to kind of eyeball it. Um, and then there's a separate script, another robot, that you that you use on your local machine that imports the art. So it looks in that, in that folder of all the production assets, grabs all of them, shoves them, injects them into GameMaker, and then GameMaker has to do like a little refresh because it's like... Wah! Would you just do that to it? Uh, it doesn't really like it that much. So shove all those yeah. in there, um, and then and then uh, it with some very intense magic from Adam's side of things, uh, essentially stitches all of that together so that the game puts the right things in the right place. So any updates you made on on an existing asset in the right spot, and those and imports do get do get baked into the to the version when it gets kind of you know frozen yeah. as part of the versioning system. Um, so the the final version. Um, so the the source, so unlike in code where the source itself is being very carefully versioned, the source for the art, which is then the content of these save files from Clip Studio Paint or in the past from Inkscape or whatever, um, uh, those are not versioned in the same kind of way, uh, but they are made and stored. We just store them in Dropbox um, because Dropbox has versioning, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll, they'll store some X number of versions and they'll archive things over time. And so there's a limited amount that you can't as easily – you can't say like, okay, well, for this version of of the game, I want to go back and find the source that was at that same version. Uh, we can't really do that. Um, but most of what we do for those assets is uh, is moving forward, right? Yeah. Because the question you always have to ask when you're doing with like a versioning system is, what is this for, right? What are we going to do with this thing? Um, because the goal isn't to be able to go back to any point in time and recover everything necessarily, right? 
that's what they that's what a lot of versioning systems like are designed to be able to do. But they're mostly for collaboration and ensuring that everybody has the same content and ensuring that we know when content is new or that we can compare changes to make sure that that if two people change the same thing, we don't, you know, that something doesn't go yeah. wrong. Or if the game starts crashing, you can be like, what changed? Yeah. yeah let's exactly. lo- let's probably look, probably look there at yeah. what changed. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. like, art just is a different sort of thing, right? Because it, it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't crash the game. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> well, I think it's the same. I think it's the same thing. It's just that it's versioning it is harder um, because it's really hard to version uh, image data, right? Like compare to like compare to versions of, of a save file for Clip Studio Paint. Like what the, what does that even mean, right? Uh, it, yeah. You could you could look at it and but that's the best you can do, right? And so so the whole idea of versioning kind of just doesn't really or you you can't get as much value out of it. Yeah. But again, you're staying on the bleeding edge, and so. So while Sam is working on a thing, he's basically making uh, a smaller number of of sort of version saves of that thing, uh, like basically in the present to a little bit in the past. And then we have things, you know, again, because of, of Hangout Dropbox, we have like probably that file from a year ago too or whatever. Um, and so, so if he like – if he does a whole bunch of work and is like, oh no, this is like – I went down a bad path here, right? Then in many cases he would be able to if he really needed to get back to a version he could start from, right? Which is yeah. another big reason for version control. Yeah, and I think I do that. I think I assume a lot of artists do too. So if I if say I go in, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go you know, change the character or whatever else. I don't just fucking nuke. Like you just copy paste the current Yeah, folder, you just duplicate yeah. the character and, like and hide start. It. And it's, so essentially you have sort of a, a, a non-structured kind of miniaturized version of uh, source yeah. control inside of yeah. your files themselves. Yeah, it's not it's not like code where you have to change what is there in order to make it work differently, right? With right, art, you yeah. can you can you can dupe it and just play around with it and be like, never mind, and then delete the new thing and stick with the old thing mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, it's flexible in that way. But yeah, so we, we do the same thing with, with audio, um, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is we you know we, we work with for example Fat Bard. Um, we have a, a Google Drive folder that they they just put whatever exported sounds into that are ready to be brought into the game. And then we just have an automated system that uh, just pulls those sounds right in and processes them and um, makes us aware that they are new and all of that stuff. Uh, and if, if you're interested in using this pipeline, we have the import side of the pipeline available on GitHub. It's called Stitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it Actually, is, the export side is there too. For Clip Studio? Yeah, Sprightly. Sprightly is is what Sam is using to do it. So actually, they're both up there. So if you want the the art export side, as well as the game, so so Stitch can be used to import uh, sprites, audio files, or you can just straight up import stuff from one GameMaker project into another GameMaker project. So any any resources you want. So definitely, if you're using GameMaker in any kind of a capacity to develop projects that are long-standing projects, um, check out Stitch on our, on our GitHub page. Cause it, it's gonna, it's nice. It is really nice to have. Uh, okay. Let's get to one last question. So it's kind of a long question it's from Woland 77. So I will summarize it by saying, what are your attitudes toward using crowdfunding for Bscotch projects? Mm-hmm. So specifically for our own projects. Well, my attitude toward crowdfunding in general, though, so that there's probably no the difference, is that if it makes sense for you to do, fucking awesome. Uh, do it. Do the get shit. That, just get do that it. dough. I think people 
massively underestimate the amount of additional work that they uh, get out of doing a crowdfunding campaign. I think you need to assume that a crowdfunding campaign on average is a net loss. Yeah. yeah. If you're shooting so uh, most- Well, on average, that's true. Like almost everything. <laughs> you no, know, no, it is. But it, but, that, but the point being that, that, that crowdfunding is a misnomer, right? It should be called like a, a marketing launch or whatever because like launches yeah. can fail, right? Uh, yeah. The thing is, even when you succeed at crowdfunding, uh, that doesn't mean you came out ahead uh, on any dimension you know, because the, the cost of you being able to succeed in crowdfunding is very, very high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, yeah. I consider crowdfunding more of a uh, more of a marketing tool because, truthfully, even when we look at modest game budgets, uh, uh, the typical game ones that you see nowadays on Kickstarter is like like sixty thousand dollars. What people are asking for because it's essentially people people feel like usually you can hit that if you got a good enough concept. Um, but I mean, realistically, that that pays for it's, it, if it's supposed to be funded by the crowd, it is not being funded almost in the, the slightest by the crowd, right? So uh, I think. A lot, most of the time, I would just say, sort of high level, non nuanced point. Most of the time, uh, I would view something like, like a crowdfunding campaign as a marketing tool, not as a uh, actual funding tool. Yeah, but it is a very expensive marketing tool because it, re- it requires a lot of your time to put together. And so, if you're if you're time rich and money poor, yes, um, then uh, it was so like for, that was that was our case in a, you know early on in in the the life of Bscotch. Um, we just didn't have any money, so so we couldn't yeah we mm-hmm. we couldn't use money to do marketing, uh, and uh, and so we had to use time instead. And I, and I think I think that's a place where these things are are most advantageous is getting from having yeah. no money to some money, um, but not not enough that it like really pays for for people. So I think if you're in a privileged enough position where you just don't need to pay people well because everybody can afford to not be paid well, right? Uh, like like a bunch of people starting the company together and taking a big risk and so on. Um, and I think there are some some mm-hmm. uses there, definitely. Now, what about the crowdfunding approach of Star Citizen? This was Robert Space Industries, Star Citizen. It's going to be the game to end all games. It's going to have everything in it. It's going to have a first-person shooter. It's going to be like EVE Online. It's an MMO, but also it's like, you can go to every planet and you can do whatever. They won't have any women though in it, right? Is that – don't understand They that didn't correctly. have any female character models yeah. I think for the first like seven years. They might have them now. I don't know. Yeah. I mean they'd only yeah. raise something like $500 million. So it would be – That's like one of the most hilariously embarrassing facts. It's just I've not in the budget. Heard. It's, it's, it's more budget. embarrassing how unembarrassed they were oh, about yeah, that's wild. it. You know, it's fucked yeah. up. Yeah. So their crowdfunding model – which I think it's – they called – I mean they called it crowdfunding, but it was basically just early access with shit tons of in-app purchases. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I, mean, yeah. I think that yeah. the truth is like – so part of the difficulty with uh, with crowdfunding is, is the ratcheting cost of someone who is doing – who's paying you in the crowdfunding context. So if someone buys a game from us, they just get the game. And distribution for that is handled the same way as everything else. But uh, yeah, if you're in if you're in a situation where they actually like got a T-shirt and a mug or some shit, and they live in Singapore, like you got a lot of stuff to figure out to make that happen. Uh, so actually, doing it through IAP or through like honestly, if you if you were going to do it, I would primarily try to do it through in-game goods because that's the easiest delivery mechanism for a video game studio. Yeah, it costs um, you because you have a one-time development cost, uh, and then, then distribution is is uh, effectively free, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I think that's the, to me that's the main thing is is 
when it comes to crowdfunding, uh, the vast majority of mechanisms that are uh, even a little bit successful in terms of overall money raised um, do so by having an incentive system, right? And an incentive system beats most of that money that you that you just pulled yes. in, which is why it's at, at best a marketing exercise in, in the vast majority of cases. Um, but further, you tend to make part of the incentive structure is promises that you make where you say, yeah. if you get this, we'll give you a steam key or we'll give you a whatever, right? Uh, and if you're early on in development or not even early on, if you're, even if you're six months out from launch, uh, there could be a publishing scenario or some other business, business partnership, um, that would have been on the table that you didn't know about yet, right? That now you've made a promise to like deliver steam keys where, all of a sudden you talk to Epic and Epic says, oh, we'll give you $100 million for an Epic, <laughs> an Epic exclusive, right? Um, uh, I mean, probably not that much, but it still could be a lot. And now all of a sudden you're like, fuck, I either have to I either have to really piss off a whole bunch of people that, that I made this commitment to, which might even be a legal problem. It's hard to say, right? Uh, or I have to not take this money, right? And yeah. so – so this is actually my my biggest uh, reason to not go with. Like I said, it's, it's, it's those two things. It's one is I, I is I have a hard time believing the effort is worth the cost. Uh, if you, um, if like I think just in in most cases, but then that that final piece where I think you can paint yourself into a corner. Uh, oh yeah, really yeah. Those easily. those early those early commitments. Um, yeah, really challenging. Can, can re- I mean, we we felt this even in like the the weirdest like slightest way, <clears throat> which was when we launched Crashlands. Mm-hmm. We we wanted to do a launch day discount or like a launch weekend discount. And we did pre-orders. Yeah. Well, that's right. the problem. That yeah. was the problem, yeah. Yeah. And so so we were like, oh, it'd be great if we could like help because we were getting the Steam pop-up for the weekend. You know, I was like, oh, it'd be great if we could like do something to like really, you know, prime the launch on Steam and get those numbers up. Um, launch Launch weekend discount, great way to do that. Except, yeah, we had done pre-orders where people could buy Steam keys directly. At full uh, price. Through through humble, I think, mm-hmm. um, but at full price, and so so what that would mean then would be, and, and not that many people pre ordered it. You no, know, we're, like we're talking, like yeah, two hundred people or something. Yeah, so it wasn't like thousands and thousands of people, but it was it was enough people that we were like, we can't really do this launch week discount because what that would mean then is the people who supported us early would be losing, <laughs> right? right? They'd be losing out on the on the discount. Um, and so what does that what does that mean? So so you know, if you think about crowdfunding, it's the same same thing. Like Adam said, you might end up promising a platform delivery that you end up not wanting to deliver on because of some future business deal. Um or that or, just turns out to be a bad investment because it's often the case that that because because you learn as you do other stuff too, right? So 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 we've learned by distributing on so many platforms, which platforms are likely just to be a loss for us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, you learn that by having done it, and you might have overlapping things going on. So you may you may learn something at some point, or, or just talk to the people in the industry who through through whom you discover like, oh shit, like if we actually if we actually invest what it will really cost to go to this platform or the service, and you know, take like three months of studio time, and, you know, and finally get it on there, um, it's just going to be a loss, right? Yeah. But you promised. But you promised a few hundred people that you would. do People it. gave you, <laughs> right. yeah, and, and so. And, you know, that's one of those sort of like cold business decisions where you have to just say like, we have to just tell these people, sorry. Yeah. I know. And you see this happen on Kickstarter all the time, right? And uh, where, where people have to walk back some promise yeah. that they made. Yeah. Because you got some new information. It turns out it was a bad idea. It was a yeah. bad promise. <laughs> or you're like, or you're like at Shovel Knight, right? Which did really, really well. 
um, but had promised so many like additional post-launch uh, features. Yeah, they spent yeah. three years, I think, fulfilling five those years, promises. I thought. Yes. Or five years, even. Yeah, and and it was and it was guaranteed uh, not what they wanted to be doing with their with their time. Uh, and I can't remember if they actually said that explicitly or if it just like was implied by by all of their their external messaging. Um, but they were just like they because they basically like they were like we made this promise because they, they had a big Kickstarter too so they they for yeah, them they it was just well. like a few hundred people who would be potentially pissed right um, but it was it was a lot and they were like we're gonna come hell or high water we're gonna fulfill this these promises and so they spent five years whatever it was doing that before they could then be like okay cool now we can go make the sequel or or whatever yeah um, go do the thing we wanted to do you yeah know? so I think the general take then I think from everything we've said kind of explains what our stance is on it as butterscotch which is that I think we're in a position thankfully now where we have all the industry contacts that we would need to be able to not have to do uh, a Kickstarter and the reason I say have to is because of this the potential for some lock and stuff like that where it's like oh you know shit now we literally can't do this deal for coming to this new platform because we already announced for this other thing and are literally talking to that platform you know it's like all that stuff that gets kind of uh, trickier on the business side once you've made some of those promises. I mean, I would try to get a publisher to give us upfront money and then take a cut of downstream revenue. You know, I would take that over trying to run a a, a community crowdfunded campaign um, because that's pure uncertainty. Yeah, and, you don't know if it's going to work, right? And it's very high cost for for your time um, and effort to do it, um, and uh, and the return is low because. Again, you basically have to give away most of the things that you that people have put money in for. Um, so yeah, so I, I would I would absolutely go for just a publisher before I would right before I would do. So that. like I say, so crowdfunding has its it has its perks, but it's definitely not without cost. It's a good strategic tool, definitely. To have yeah, in your, yeah, yeah. To, but yeah. you have to do it's just like all these things. Yeah, you, know, you got to know what it's it. for. Yeah. yeah, you're not you're not going to use it to fund your game. That's just yeah. not that's just not going to happen. Um, so if you can find a way, so if you're careful with your promises that you make and you do a really good job with the market materials and you know that you're good at it, um, cause if you can't make a good, if you won't be able to sell your game, you won't be able to sell your Kickstarter either because mm-hmm. it's exactly the same problem in both cases of, of getting people to care about the thing that you're making. Um, but if you can, and you're trying to just get, get, if you're trying to bring in more people who know about it and who care about it and get them in early and get, get that like initial rabid fan base going and you do it pretty Early on, you don't overpromise and overcommit. Like there, there, I think there is a there is a reality you can put together where, combined with a little bit of luck, mm-hmm. you do come out ahead. But I think in most cases, that's the the number of things that have to go right for it to be a net win are pretty dang quite expensive. a few. Yeah. Quite a few. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We would like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.